I'm Wendy Stragar, and I'm the CEO and founder at Good Clean Love and Vaginal Biome Science. And what Femtech means to me is the work of giving women agency and power over their own health. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health, market research, and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, I interview Wendy Steger, founder and CEO of Good Clean Love and Vaginal Biome Science. Good Clean Love is a woman-owned B corporation and a pioneer in the organic personal care product industry. Vaginal Biome Science is a biotech company that develops vaginal microbiota-based therapies to protect and restore the microbiome of the vagina. Wendy herself was named in the top 25 consumer health tech CEOs in 2020 and has been recognized in the top 100 impactful CEOs in 2022, 2021, and 2018. Her commitment to innovation led to the development of patented biomatch technology for women's health, and she holds multiple U.S. patents for biomatch technology, a leading scientific approach applying biomimicry to sexual health and hygiene products. In this interview, we discuss the ingredients inside lubricants and how they damage your vaginal cells' walls, a potential for an NIH forming an Institute of Women's Health, will they or won't they, and the importance of getting to know your own vagina. This is a great opportunity to learn about the vaginal microbiome and the story of a woman who just will not stop in her advocacy for women's health. Learn more about Good Clean Love and get your products at goodcleanlove.com and learn more about vaginal biome science at vaginalbiomescience.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Wendy, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is wonderful to have you. You have your little fur babies with you in this like beautiful home. Where are you calling us from today? Um, I'm in Oregon. Um, this home is in Eugene, Oregon, in the in the foothills. So it's it is really beautiful and also really a fire danger here, right? Oh. Uh, so summer used to be my favorite season, and now I always can't wait till the rain comes. Wow. Um, you know- um, but- yeah, it's a weird time in the world. Yeah, it's really crazy. You know, Hurricane um, Hillary just hit uh, Los Angeles, and my friend that lives there says he actually can't believe how beautiful it is today after the hurricane. He said there was so much rain. He was like, it was like it kind of washed all the pollution away for the day. So kind yeah. of interesting. Actually, I think this is the first time in three years that they don't have a drought down there because of that, the amount of rain wow. they got. Wow. Crazy. Crazy yeah, it's a weird, times. <laughs> very strange time in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mother and, Earth and needs our help, and so does Mother Human, right? Yeah, for sure. I always say that my work, I think, is literally essentially. I mean, what I would say is that everything that happens for women in the world is what we're doing to the earth. 
So when I think about like up-leveling the care that women get in this country and around the world, I mean, there is a mother earth and how we treat women has everything to do with what we're doing to the world. 100%. Well, I think you have some really insightful thoughts and experiences and backgrounds. So let's kick off our interview, learning more about yourself. Tell us our listeners a little bit more about your history in women's health, how you got into it and uh, just kind of what happened. Okay. Um, so I, uh, I, I sometimes think of myself as the grandmother of femtech in some ways. I started Good Clean Love 20 years ago in my kitchen. So it was a true cottage industry. And honestly, I had just had my fourth child. Um, and so any woman that, you know, carries four children to term and, and births them has all kinds of issues. And I was like a poster child for what became our flagship products. Um, and I was trying to save my marriage. Honestly, that's how I started the company. Um, and because the doctor would give me petrochemical based products and I would have terrible reactions, like have to take a bath in the middle of the night for three hours because it burned and hurt so badly. And so I was really looking for a solution. For a while, I tried olive oil, but I couldn't cook with it and also take it in the bedroom. So couldn't make that transition. Um, so, so I was really became interested in, uh, women's health, mostly through my own, honestly. And then the more that I learned about, um, as I, as I was walking down this path that it wasn't a story about me alone, right? Like almost every woman I know had stories to tell. And the interesting thing was that they never told the stories. Many, many women, as I'm sure you've been told before, wait 10 years before they even talk to their doctor, right? And frequently they they find they're infertile by the time they, they speak to their doctor. So, you know, really the state of women's healthcare is abysmal and I think actually if misogyny and corruption lives anywhere, it's most in medicine. Mm. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's been 30 years since the first woman was in any trials at all. You know, I'm sure that's something you've talked about a lot. And, you know, many, many drugs have never even been tested on women um, still to this day. Um, And so women carry the brunt of the highest number of adverse drug reactions, frequently fatal ones. And um, that just happened to my daughter actually in the winter. So, you know, it's just astounding, you know, it's things you hear about. And then when it comes into your own little sphere, it becomes even more real. So, so I started out really, you know, not with a really good business plan. I'm not that kind of business woman. Um, but really I'm a problem solver and I was really trying to solve a problem of how I could maintain a sexual, a healthy sexual relationship. Um, when I clearly needed products and all the products on the market at the time were petrochemical based. And I mean, I didn't really even understand what that meant at the time. I just knew that I had very serious reactions to it. Um, and so that was sort of started my journey, honestly. So for about the first 10 years of Good Clean Love, we were primarily a sexual health company. And then two things happened at once. One is that I started polling women and asking them, why don't you want to have sex with your partner? Or, I mean, it's of course a very complicated question, right? Um, it's never just a physiological response, you know, all the ways that we show up or communicate or don't like creates the foundation and the container that makes sex fun and safe. Right. But, um, 
But so that, of course, was the first conversation we had. But many, many women talked about how bad their vaginas felt, not just when they had sex, but all the time. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think that we don't really uh, understand the degree because, again, we don't talk about it. The degree and the the um, just the the commonality of women who struggle with all kinds of reproductive, I say reproductive because it could be labial, vaginal, you know, um, or, you know, internal um, pain. And, and that's, that's not something that just happens when they have sex. It happens to them every day. And it really impacts how they, how they feel in their days, right? Whether they can exercise, um, you know, how they feel when they're picking up their kids, and so sex then I think becomes, I mean, I think there's a way that we divorce ourselves from that part of our body, especially if there's been sexual or erotic trauma. And, you know, we're running a study in Nebraska and we didn't even try to do this um, because it was just my premise was that the health of the vaginal biome would impact your ability to be aroused. So that's what we went to study. Um, but, you know, it's at a university setting. So literally Literally half of the subjects had some kind of sexual abuse mm -hmm. in their life. Half. And so, you know, the, and, and what we found, interestingly, not even looking for this is that, you know, in the, all the ways that we know that body keeps the score, that that, that that abuse is encoded and in the biome. So actually at the moment of arousal is when we see this, this dysbiosis come up. Um, again, you know, sort of un, on you, we didn't expect to have that finding, but we also would never have gone into a study like that thinking half the women would have been sexually abused. But, you know, my, my conspiracy theory about this is that one of the reasons we don't really spend what money on women's health and we don't try harder to figure out what's going on is because it's going to reveal the, the huge, um, patriarchal. Um, and I mean, you know, sexual abuse has so much history, you know, um, the idea of consent is a very modern idea. Um, and it's, and it's a confusing one. You know, I think that even people who are trying to practice that don't know where it starts and ends. And, you know, we have so little language for our sexual beingness. Um, and so it becomes all those things, but it gets real, real deeply entwined and wrapped into who we are as, as, you know, just our health, yeah. you know, our, 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 our reproductive women's health. Yeah. So. So that's how I started a long time ago. I was a young woman when I started. I was much more attractive then. Um, but I was trying to save my own marriage. And so one happy consequence is that uh, I, uh, you know, partly the products, partly the education, but I probably have one of the best sex lives of any woman you'll ever meet who's 61 years old. Um, <laughs> God bless you, Wendy. Uh, listeners, do you know why I invited her on the show? You can hear it, right? Like you just want to sit down with a hot cup of tea with this woman and be like, tell me all the things you've learned and thought about over the years. Cause you know, I, I can see you being somebody who literally sits around and thinks about this stuff, right? Because it's about the layer under layer under layer. It's not, yeah, totally. you know, it's not just that, you know, medicine forgot women. It's like what you just said, which is like, what might be revealed if we look closer, right? 
I have my own theories about sexual abuse. I'm very open about being a, a trauma survivor, sexual abuse specifically. And, you know, I, I sometimes think about posting on Facebook, like, do I know any woman who has not been assaulted? Like, cause it's, it's just so, so prevalent, especially uh, my time in a, you know, treatment for eating disorder and addiction. It's like those rooms are, it's almost a hundred percent, you know, it's almost a hundred percent. So it's very, um, very common. And, um, yeah, and it's very disturbing. Um, but it's also very confusing, right? Mm -hmm. Because like when I think about it, I take a, and this is a really politically shaky space to speak about. Um, but I take a really long view when I think about what it means to be human and sexual. Mm -hmm. And so if you think all the way back to being cavemen, right. And just the evolution, right. Like, I don't know if you watch like the really violent times that humans have endured kind of fighting each other. I mean, I think it's still really happening today in many of the same ways, but we say that it's modern now. I don't know what to say about that. But, you know, that kind of sort of barbarian, I don't know if you've watched Barbarians, but, you know, and um, my son, I can't really get through that show, but he said, you know, the show is about all the things that are so deeply human, right? Violence, betrayal, family, sex, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about our sexuality as human beings, as human creatures, um, you know, so much of it had nothing to do with consent at all, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, like eons of it. Um, and, um, so that's sort of embedded in all of us, yeah. right? That, that, that kind of deep unconscious think about sexuality, which, you know, goes on to explain how, you know, when you look in pornographic, text and erotica and, you know, this dynamic of submission and, and dominance, which is really what makes sex what it is, honestly. Um, so to believe that it's always this kind of white bread, oh, consent, oh, I like this, I like that. Of course it's not, right? Like it's, it's imbued with this drama, this internal drama we have of, of how we can release pleasure mm -hmm. and, 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 and in what ways is that voluntary and in what ways is that involuntary? And it's very confusing, right? And we very rarely have deep conversations about all the meanings of it. And I mean, I spent six decades not really being able to even touch some of those conversations myself, yeah. myself. And I'd written a book about sex. So I thought I got it, you know? <laughs> So it, oh, God, I have so much to talk to you about. I'm thinking about, <laughs> you know, the voluntary, involuntary, like there's like this uh, logical sense of voluntary, involuntary. But then when you said those words, I also think about your body doing things that are voluntary or involuntary. And, exactly. you know, your body might make a sound during sex that you didn't necessarily want it to make, but it made it. And like, what does that mean? And like, you know, like there's just so many concepts there. I want, oh, I just want to get together I mean, with you for a it, long it, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'd love to give workshops like yeah. where we just really dig deep in all of this because um, because there's so much that's hidden in us yeah. about sexuality, you know, even from ourselves. That's what I have most recently learned mm. is that even I talk about sex all the time and, you know, vaginal health and vaginal biome. And, you know, I had four kids and we would talk about masturbation at the dinner table and, and my kids would be like, uh, nobody talks about this at the dinner table. I'm like, sure they do. They're like, no, only you do. You know? Oh my God, um, my future children. I 
already know what they're going to say. So that's absolutely. I, <laughs> I, my you know, the thing is, is that what we, what we don't give language to, it becomes the thing that drives us most. Mm. Right. So, you know, so I, I just feel like that is a form of freedom that we, we, that we give ourselves permission to say things and to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely, even though we say everything's different, you know, I'm telling you, it's not that different. You know, the things that I see young women struggle with today was the same things I was struggling with. You know, my daughter who's like trying to date and like tragically all there is is hinge, right? Like there's no friends introducing people to other people. And I don't know why you guys don't have more parties and just hang out more because you're on your phones and working on your computers. But that's how you used to meet people, right? It wasn't like, you know, looking at a profile, which is so hard, right? There's so little you can really know from somebody in a profile. Yeah. That was my first startup, right? A DNA-based dating app. How do we bring pheromones back to dating? Because it's the love at first sight. It's a biological mechanism. And when you're on Hinge looking at profiles, you're missing that chemistry point, literally. Um, yeah. I want to get us back to good, clean love real fast. So tell sure, us, what, so it's a it's a lubrication. What is it made out of? So, You're talking so, about these so, parabens. Tell, tell yeah, us about that. So, so, so good, clean love was my first, I, I call it my fifth child. Um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, and right now it's actually the, the best selling organic product. Uh, we have two best selling products in the top 10 nationwide, um, which is kind of amazing when you start something in your kitchen that you could get to that place. Um, hardly ever happens in America anymore, but I feel very proud of that company. Um, uh, we raised $20 million last year. Um, and so some of that money was for the brand and some was for the science company, which we spun out. Um, so, uh, so good, clean love has a suite of sexual health products, different kinds of lubricants for different moods, liquid hybrid, our, our flagship organic product. And uh, my favorite is our biomatch product, the bio nude, um, they're widely available in almost every store, but Walmart. So we're trying to do that, get that done. Um, um, and you know, and, and instead of like most companies, pretty much, I would say almost every other brand of lubricants, what makes good clean love really different is that I, I'm not a marketer at heart. I mean, I think I've learned a lot about marketing mm-hmm. over time. I'm really a problem solver at my core. And so I was trying to develop products that actually worked and help people feel better, mm-hmm. um, which is really different because everybody else, when they get a little bit of cash, all they're trying to do is build a, a platform and attract people and attract customers. So they end up buying kind of these canned version products. So almost every product on the market, when you start to compare labels, there's like two or three different um, inky decks. And I can tell you who makes all those products and they just slap a different label on the front, but there's nothing unique or, or thoughtful even about those products. Whereas at Good Clean Love, that was what I spent all my energy and motion on. And what became really interesting was in 2012. So we also donated products to everyone when they would ask us because it was a love company, right? So we donated to HIV Alliance and um, because of course people with HIV really need good lube more than anybody. And they, they tested our lube, like they did any product they would give away. And that was the first step I took into science education when they came back and said, this 
product is more like human secretion than any product we've ever found. And I thought, okay, now I know why I don't burn anymore. Um, And I mean, I just, when I started, I was like, if I don't, if I wouldn't bring this ingredient, like I would never have propylene glycol in my house. So why would I put it in something that I'd put it in the most sensitive tissue in my body, right? Um, So I actually axed a lot of ingredients that are very typical in product formulations Mm -hmm. in favor of things like aloe vera and things that I knew about, right? Um, So it was very simplistic to start, honestly. But that's how we created a product that was isoosmatic that became clear in this study that was performed. And the study wasn't, oh, let's see what's the best lubricant. They, um, it was at the time when HIV and other STDs was really on the rise. And even though the NIH had been doing a lot of marketing to try to get people to be more protective and all that, they decided to see if they could get some biophysicists to develop a lubricant that would be protective. Um, so they went to the lubricants on the market, and that's how mine happened to sneak in, um, to see if they could make them better, safer, yeah. you know? And what they found, in fact, was that all those products actually were making women sick because they were they were what's called hyperosmolar. And so back to chemistry, 11th grade, any days you paid attention, osmosis, we know, is how things transfer in and out of the cell. And so when we speak about osmolality, we're talking about that transfer of what's outside and what's inside the cell. In this case, I'm talking about the vaginal epithelium. So when you put a product that's really chemically heavy on tissue that's not chemically heavy, what it'll do is pull all the moisture out of that tissue in such a way that that all those cells will slough off. And you've basically lost that really protective top layer of your vaginal epithelium. This can happen in as little as four hours with hyperosmolar products. Some women really feel it, like I felt it really severely. Other women don't feel it as severely. And, you know, I don't know what to say about that, except that it doesn't really matter if you feel it severely or not. It's still performing the same functions biophysically. And so when you, um, when you basically destroy that vaginal epithelial protection, you're, um, 60% more susceptible to bacterial vaginosis. Um, your risk of bacterial vaginosis just skyrockets. And because so many women don't know how to identify BV and they don't treat it 80% of the time. So BV is kind of like a bacteria party. That's what I, you know, right? Like you've, your pH is way high and you've got all the bad players are, um, are sort of dominating the, 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 the scene. And so the healthy lactobacilli that's there can't really do its job. Right. And so, um, so that dysbiosis, we call that dysbiosis when it goes on and on can then also create, you know, other dismal sort of, um, symptoms and other kinds of conditions like, like in sclerosis. And, um, so that's like where your vaginal tissue, your, your labial tissue starts to get impacted. Sometimes it's vulvodynia. I mean, all kinds of conditions, but the truth is that just because physicians name things doesn't mean that they really understand what it is or have any idea how they can treat it. Um, and so, um, you know, basically when you go to the gynecologist, you have a, you're offered antibiotics over and over again to treat 
bacterial vaginosis and a variety of other conditions, sometimes warranted. But we know that when you treat BV with antibiotics, you only get more BV and you've killed all the other good players in the, in the game. And so if you don't do anything to restore the healthy biome, it's not going to do it itself. And that's kind of the cycle that a lot of women find themselves in. And insult um, to injury is that the gynecologists are using the lube that is killing the cells, right? Right. So yeah, I'm working on that too. But let me just say that there's a lot of work to be done. So so I started my science education in 2012 when I met a biophysicist who was running that study. And I just said, teach me. Like he made a statement in this paper that said, basically all lubricants should be rethought. And I'm like, okay, well, what would you do to make it better? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and he's like, well, you're pretty good. And I said, but you you said it should all be rethought. And that's kind of what led me down the path of biomatch products mm. um, because there are mechanisms that we have patented that to that create products that restore the vaginal biome. Um, and I mean, it's biomimicry, actually, right? Like, and, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we use that science. But, you know, I, I've always been kind of a homeopath and natural product person at heart. You know, we know that when we give our bodies what it wants, what it needs just to get back to its own stasis, um, it, it can manage a lot of symptoms that that sometimes can get really out of control. And so what we found over time through a lot of trials that we do a vaginal biome science is that when women can stabilize their vaginal biome health, many of the symptoms that they were taking steroids for go away. Many of the recurrent infections stop happening again, right? Like, you know, there's some, I really am super thrilled and really excited for the future in one way only, which is that I really believe that, that the human microbiome will become the direction of all medicine. Yeah. You know, we've sort of killed everything we can for such a long time mm -hmm. that now like all those bacteria are really intelligent, you know, that's not going to work anymore. But figuring out how our microbiome, which starts in our sinuses and goes all the way through our gut, right? That's the one we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but through our vaginal and rectal openings, how we fortify those parts, that core, right? That is literally the core of the body. Wendy, you are just such a magnificent wealth of knowledge and insight. I um, I did my PhD at Baylor College of Medicine, and we have the one of the biggest microbiome centers in the world. In fact, it was the center that they um, realized you can cure irritable bowel syndrome by actually doing a stool uh, replacement, like taking healthy yeah, person stool, a fecal... Mm -hmm. fecal transfer. Yeah. And so there was like all this controversy because they're like, you're putting someone else's poop and somebody else. And they're like, it's yeah, working. It's crazy like, how that works. Yeah. yeah. And so they're trying that. They're trying that vaginally now too. Awesome. Good. What I was going to say is that they also had a, um, a lab that was super innovative ahead of its time looking at the microbiome of breast milk. And yet I sometimes go back to my alma mater and say like, so is anyone working on vaginal microbiome yet? And they're all like, Ooh, no, like that's kind of a thing. And I'm like, how is it not the thing, right? Like, why is that not five labs by now? And so definitely need these microbiologists to kind of step up on the vaginal microbiome in addition to the gut and the breast milk and the mouth and the nasal and all the things. Um, 
But I um, want to say that like the mouth biome, yeah. you know, is like actually the source of so much disease, you know, over 50% of Americans have an unbelievable amount of decay in their mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's crazy how we don't pay attention to the oral biome and how we don't make any products at all to restabilize the biome, Mm -hmm. right? The premise is that, oh, that's like too much stuff going in and out. You could never do it. You could totally do it at night before you go to sleep, you know? Um, So the other thing I was- I'm working on that too. Yeah. A lot of mental illness, actually diabetes, very serious illnesses comes through the oral biome. I I really believe I was at a biotech conference, my first one in the, in June. And I really believe that within 10 to 15 years, everything that happens on that floor will be about microbiome as if we're kind of pioneering there. And that's what vaginal, vaginal biome science is, right? Like we, we did a lot of the science in the brand, and then it was really a regulatory risk for us to be doing that for in good clean love. Mm-hmm. So we split it off, and um, and now I'm focusing more on vaginal microbiome health and mm-hmm. developing more therapeutics. And we have a new test we've we've developed, and um, that part really jazzes me up because I really feel like. I mean, I love selling really good, healthy products to people. And, you know, I think whatever we can get into medical device, um, you know, because that's an easy delivery mechanism. Um, but I might even take a stab at developing some IND drugs, therapeutics. So doctors could actually want to know what's happening in a woman's biome because they would have therapeutics to address an unstable biome, right? Like you have to provide solutions, not just information or the information is meaningless. That's right. What do you think about these startups that are doing vaginal microbiome sequencing, like direct to consumer? What do you think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that is price. I mean, so you're talking about, I work with a couple of those companies, Evie and Juno are the Mm -hmm. kind of the biggest targets right now. So we use their tests in some of our trials um, because it's actually the best picture you can get right now um, for what's going on there. You know, I would say a few things about uh, next generation sequencing. One is that physicians aren't ready to manage that. It's Mm -hmm. very noisy data, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of information that comes through that. And Punnett squares are a lie, y'all. Punnett squares are mostly a lie in genetics. Like it's not like one letter, big letter, little letter. Like genetics is so much bigger than that. So it's very complex data, right? (laughs) So, so, and I think that, you know, um, the test that we developed, what we did basically is take the wealth of results we'd had from those NGS testing. And then we develop PCR targets for the ones that were most important. Mm -hmm. So doctors just really want to know what's most important, right? Like the key fungus, the key bacteria, anaerobic and aerobic, the key lactobacilli, right? Like, because sometimes truthfully, you could have an overgrowth of the wrong lactobacilli, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a complex biome and it's changeable. So, so that's, our tactic is to go at it from providing information that we believe doctors would want to know if they also had a mechanism to do something about it, you know? So the doctors you're referring to, would they be gynecologists or also like primary care physicians? I I think a lot of women see primary care for, you know, and a UTI, discharge. Yeah. 
Well, also, you know, I mean, this applies. We have studies going with, um, you know, urogynecologists and um, and even oncologists, right? Because if you can believe this, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's true. Um, you know, there's 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 no there's no data. No one looks at your microbiome when you're diagnosed with a cervical cancer or any reproductive cancer. And so what if there's this wealth of information there that they all have these weird combination bacterias? You know, I think that we'll find things like that for not just that condition, but many conditions. And that's really my dream is that we'll develop, we'll get it, we'll gather enough data to develop a true algorithm of diagnostic moments of what biomes look like at those moments. And then of course we want to see when we, when we try to regulate the biome and we just have like a, a, a series of products that we sell at Good Clean Love, but that we've taken into a protocol um, it's a little different for different conditions, but um, so it's a gel, a wash and a suppository and they're all kind of biomatch. So the suppository has native bact- lactobacilli bacteria leading crispatus. Um, and then we give it to them in a protocol mechanism where we say, use this every day. They use this one three times a week, right? Like that. And, um, and people get better. <laughs> We we keep seeing people and under doctor's care, people get better. And so we do, this is a very simple hygiene method of reestablishing a biome. Maybe there's going to be some more fancier ways we can do it with vaginal rings and other things, right? But the problem is that the women, you know, women of color, we know that their biomes are much more dysregulated than white women. We don't know why. Uh, women of all color, right? So Hispanic, Asian, black, um, and so it's a, that's a super interesting question. We don't know if there's really a mechanism, even among the transplant thing that they're starting with vaginal transplant. Can we correct something like we just do something one time and then it's different forever? Or is this something that we just are always working with because it's a dynamic space? We just don't know the answers to all those things. Yeah. Speaking of transplant, here's a wild question because this is where my brain goes. Do you think that we could look at female on female? female relationships and if they're doing, you know, certain acts that essentially is vulva on vulva and like potentially see if one has a dysregulated microbiome, if they're essentially scissoring for lack of a better scientific term, because I don't know it, like, is she transferring bad bacteria over potentially and like causing an infection in her girlfriend? Well, so the interesting thing is that, again, not enough research, but this has been- Especially on scissoring. I don't know. (laughs) The thing is, is that it doesn't even necessarily take sexual contact. Just women who live in a dorm room together Mm. transfer their bacteria. Understand that the bacteria is not just what's right there on your vaginal labial Uh. opening, right? I mean, our bacteria and what we carry and don't carry is like, I mean, we're just bacteria cells everywhere, right? So it's really interesting to think about when women come into a community of women, do they transfer good or bad bacteria that way, just living among other women? I mean, I think sexually, yes, there's even more questions about that. Um, but we know also that many bad bacteria is also carried in foreskin, right? So, you know, I, you know, I, I, I don't know the answers, but I'm really excited to learn more. Um, 
And, um, and I, and I know from my own personal experience that, I mean, I use our products every day, right? Like, so I can never really divorce good, clean love. Cause I'm too dependent. Truthfully, <laughs> like this company um, will not die. I need it. <laughs> but, um, but you know, when you do maintain and I'm postmenopausal, right? So even postmenopausally, you know, maintaining good, healthy microbiome, bacteria is really essential at all stages of life. And honestly, it's not like we just see this among aging women, among women who are perimenopausal, even among very young women, um, they frequently have issues and, and, and how they might know it is that they have frequent, um, either UTIs or yeast infections or right. Like where they have an odor that just doesn't quite seem right and they can't quite get rid of it. And this is because now, so this is one thing we do know that there are three community states for women. One is where, and we don't know how these women get so lucky. They have a good biome all the time. Even after they get their period, even after they have sex, they just come back to a healthy biome. That's about 35%, 34% of women. The other extreme, the other third, 33, 34% never have the right bacteria. And so they're constantly in a in a state of dysbiosis and shedding. And it seems like at a certain point, you're not even symptomatic at that shedding, but you're also way more susceptible to STDs and HIV. Like I said, you're 60% more susceptible and three times as likely to transmit bad bacteria when you don't have any good bacteria yourself. And then you've got that third in the middle that are constantly sort of struggling to get back to something healthy. So at any given point, that's two thirds of women that are really struggling to get their biome back on track. Um, and frequently without language or understanding of what went wrong, right? Like that's what happened to me for years, right? Like I, I, I just was always off. And even as a child, when, you know, yeast infections had to be treated by a doctor, you know, back when I was a kid, you'd have to go to the doctor and I would feel this shame, like, why am I getting this? And I mean, it wasn't until I went to Planned Parenthood in my twenties that I finally got a pamphlet on yeast infections, you know? So, I mean, think how many decades, right? That we remain silent about extremely common things. I mean, now I don't know how Monistat did it, but of course that's the only thing we can treat. Yeah. And so when you look at the, the amount of money that women spend on their own care, Yeast infections predominates by far, but mm -hmm. that's mostly because that's not because what that's what people have the most It's because it's the only thing they can treat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wendy, you are just incredible. So you have good, clean, good, clean love. Your, your consumer package, good pro company. You've spun out this vaginal biome science company. We've been talking about microbiome science and therapeutics and devices and all this stuff. Tell us, um, I want to go into talking about the NIH and lobbying for Institute of Women's okay. Health. Can you just quickly tell us though, what's your goal for vaginal biome science in terms of the, your long-term vision for that company? Um, well, um, so I do want to tell you about the NIH also, yeah, um, get to it. and, and that there's really, a, I think, you know, uh, a, a lot of momentum building around some really important changes that need to be made. So I'll just speak to that first and then I'll tell okay. you about what the dream is. Um, so, you know, having made medical devices for a long time and worked in a highly regulated space in good, clean love, um, one of the things that I learned actually relatively late, um, but 
because I was just constantly going up against a wall. You know, the only use case that you can design products for any kind of products for women is uh, penile insertion. Um, 2023, the only products you can design for is for penile, easing penile insertion. That is the use case case that the FDA allows, which is really unbelievably infuriating. If you're not mad yet, you should. I mean, talk about lack of consent and like our use and our purpose and oh my gosh. The reason for that is because they're running a code. The FDA code is from 1938 in which the words woman, vagina, and pregnancy are other conditions. And so basically what that's made is a world in which everything that is vaginal and reproductive is a disease state that requires an Rx, which as we already kind of discussed is antibiotics or steroids, right? That's all they've been able to come up with for us. So, um, so, you know, that needs to change right? Like let's put the word woman in a few places in the code. Let's actually consider pregnancy as a real vital and also postpartum because we know how, how many things change for women postpartum. And, and let's talk about the vagina as, as a part of the body that women can have agency over and manage themselves, right? I mean, women can learn to relate to this part of their body and understand when something isn't quite right and smell themselves and, 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 and be able to regulate their own lactobacilli, right? That's not, that's not outside of our capacity and purview. Um, but the way it's regulated currently, anything that's developed has to become a drug. And in order to become a drug in this country, it's kind of a, I mean, if ever there was a conspiracy, it costs a billion dollars to get through the hoops to make a drug, which actually makes it real cozy for the people who own everything pharmaceutical, which is about six or eight companies. Um, so that is its own form of corruption, but I'm going to try to go after, but they'll probably kill me. Um, but, um, but you know, the CDC also is playing into this, right? And we call everything vaginal a disease, right? And when you go back to the NIH, which you asked me about, and there are more and more opportunities for non-dilutive funding for women, women's health. Um, but the, the, the office of women's health has been in office for many years now. And what that means is that they get way less funding than a center or an institute, which is how all the funding is distributed in this country for medical research. So the, the office had been at under 50 million. This year they went up to 70 because they want them to work on some autoimmune diseases. But here's the part that kills me actually, which is that the office is only allowed to co-fund. So they can't initiate or make any decisions about what they want to support unless it's being supported by another center or an institute, which is just another way that we are constantly controlling women. Um, yeah. and this at the government level. So I am hoping to work with, there's a few organizations that have been at this for a long time. I don't know enough about politics to speak about why nothing's really changed, but um, I have some senators that I'm working with uh, in the Northwest that seem ready to put some language into some bills to actually make that a center 
so that they can make their own decisions and get a hundred million dollars, which is the very least they should get Mentally. for all the years they haven't gotten any money. And um, and that the FDA would have to update their code to include those words and to actually modernize how we can allow women to have agency over their lives. So who knows if I'm ever going to really be able to do any of those things, but I'm a girl from New York and I usually, I, you know, I'm a terrible quitter actually is all the only thing I can tell you that my, that's my, that's my entire skill set is that I'm a terrible quitter. So, you know, so I'm going to try and, you know, and for vaginal biome science, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of searching for a chief scientist right now. And I found this, this person and, he's really unbelievably skilled and terrific. And so I hope that we're going to be able to bring him in and we'll kind of do it as a team approach. But, you know, I, I, I'm hoping we'll get this test out there. You know, I'm hoping that we'll work with good, clean love and create a platform. So women who, who can identify what's happening to them can come in and use these protocols themselves without needing a doctor to do it. And, um, and I'm hoping that um, we'll develop this algorithm so that doctors become really interested in knowing what's happening in a biome um, and that we'll have some therapeutics in less than 20 years because I'm going to be dead by then. So, Wendy, you um, have a full army people of people like you will carry women, on. We will so. carry that torch, woman. We promise. We will carry yeah. it. In fact, tell us, how can yeah. we participate with you now? If our listeners are just totally, they're running, they're, they've been on a jog this whole time and they're just totally, their heart is palpitating. They're like, I need to meet Wendy. How do, how do they get involved with your mission here? So, um, you know, I have a lot of writing, uh, that's available if they want to learn more or read some of the things I've written on good, clean love. Um, and, uh, I have a website of my own, wendystragar.com that really needs a lot of revamping. So maybe don't run there, but, um, uh, <laughs> hopefully sometime soon that one will be better. Um, vaginal biome science has a lot of, that's also v- vaginalbiomescience.com. You can learn a lot about vaginal health and, you know, read more about the kind of studies we're conducting. Um, you know, for sure, look at the ingredients on any products you have in your house. And if they are full of petrochemicals, so any kind of propylene glycol, polyethylene glycol, any glycols, right? We know those are hyperosmolar right out of the gate. Mm. Maybe stop using things like that. You know, we know that many of the washes on the market also laden in many petrochemicals that are too heavy for that tissue. Um, and so first start by taking care of yourself, right? Mm. And, 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 and being, you know, having a relationship to your own vagina so that you trust what you know about yourself. Right. And, um, and, and I think that's a big step. And then, you know, hopefully we'll have some kind of coalition with these groups and we're going to start once the recess ends in the fall and, you know, I'll come back to you and you can post it. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, generally political, but I think maybe I might become more political now. Um, I feel like I should run for president, honestly. Some Wendy days for I- president, good, clean love. I'll play. I'll, I'll, I will support it. I mean, it's kind of weird that there's like no normal people who are trying to get into this situation, you know, just like good, normal people that could, that could just make reasonable problem solving focused decisions. You know, I mean, I just don't know how we're paying attention to anything, but 
at the climate right now, honestly. Yeah. 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 You know, and, you know, antibiotic resistance, which is one thing that I've been speaking about inadvertently and this need to accelerate a different kind of science. I mean, 10 million people died from antibiotic resistance this year. They said that wasn't going to happen until 2030. So do you know what the numbers will be by 2030? Wow. You yeah. know? So we have real problems, but, you know, we have an ingenious population that could solve problems, right? And I think women, you know, this femtech-focused podcast you have, I mean, you know, your generation of women and the women coming behind you, I mean, they're just done with this now. And and it's high time, right? Oh, Wendy, I adore you. You are, like, my new, like... (laughs) aspiration. Um, you, if I've ever had a preview into my future self, I think I've now seen it. Uh, <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank yeah, you for all the work you're doing. We are here to support you, advocate for you, and we will uh, definitely promote any initiative you put out there. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And, you know, I, I think good, clean love makes the best products on the market, but I sort of help do all that. But make sure that you really, you know, take into account how your vagina is because it's the same as your gut, right? It doesn't just affect your your vaginal area. It affects your whole body, what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, ladies. it was really a pleasure to speak with you. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to my interview with Wendy Stagger, founder and CEO of Good Clean Love and Vaginal Biome Science. Learn more about Good Clean Love and buy your products at goodcleanlove.com and learn more about Vaginal Biome Science at vaginalbiomescience.com. Okay, femme fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm-hmm.